0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of The Grace and Peace of God, Love Wins. Today we're going to be talking about discerning wisdom. When we're about to make a purchase of some kind, wisdom will tell us to do our due diligence. You know that guiding inside of us that directs us and makes sure that we've explored all of our options or... The little nagging voice that says, are you getting the best price? It's that still small voice within that's nudging us, and that would be the Holy Spirit. It's the same use of discernment we use when evaluating false teachers. Importantly, we must remember a wolf comes to us in sheep's clothing. You know, the type quiet, kind, unassuming, yet ravenous on the inside. We've all met some of those along the way. Scripture teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 4 not to let people waste time in endless speculation over myths and spiritual pedigrees. For these things only cause arguments, they don't help people live a life of faith in God. We're not to focus on the charm or the charisma of the teacher or even the production of the worship band. That's not to say we can't enjoy and relate to these things, but they're not the primary focal point of worship. Jesus is. Our number one job is to be discerners of the Word of God. We're placed here on earth to worship Jesus. This is our sole purpose. It need not matter what function in the world we're involved in as long as we remain committed to Him and attempt to stay within His will always satan himself can disguise himself as an angel of light according to paul in second corinthians chapter 11 verse 14. and think on that for a moment satan masquerading around as an angel of light because it serves his purposes he's known as the prince of darkness and yet when it benefits him he adorns himself with light The book of John chapter 10 verse 10 tells us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says. Along this same vein, we're to be wary of attractive people that talk real smooth, quoting the Bible in ways that sound like truth, but perhaps they're missing key elements. Remember how Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan himself for 40 days and 40 nights? He ate nothing and became very hungry. The book of Matthew chapter 4 details this wilderness temptation. And Satan is able to quote the Bible as he has had thousands of years to work at mastering it. Yet he twists words to change meanings, and this is what he even attempted with Jesus out in the wilderness. The first temptation came when Satan said, if you are the son of God, change these stones into loaves of bread. But Jesus said, no, the scriptures say people need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say, He orders his angels to protect you, and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. Jesus responded with the scriptures, also say, Do not test the Lord your God. And now for the third and final temptation, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the nations of the world and all their glory. He said, I'll give it all to you if you'll only kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God, serve only him. The devil was doing all he could to get Jesus to sin. And sometimes we have people in our lives who willingly or unwillingly try to cause us to sin. They may present their argument to us in an attractive way, but if we know it's wrong, we need to steer clear of it. Discernment for all of God's word is what will keep us walking the straight and narrow path. People have been attempting to take scripture verses out of context for thousands of years to fit their narrative and their point of view. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 tells us to work hard so God can improve us. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. When we do this, we'll be able to spot errors of interpretation from others. False teachers love to stir up strife and division and squabble over unimportant details. Real obedience, like what Jesus demonstrated, only comes when an opportunity to disobey is present trials are common throughout the bible in deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 the children of israel were led into the wilderness to humble and test them god wanted to find out would his children obey him satan continually tempts god's children his tactic nor strategy has not changed since the inception of creation he tempted eve in the garden of eden and we all know how that turned out he wants us to live life his way, or our way, but definitely not God's way. Think about this the next time you're tempted to give in to temptation. Had Jesus given in to Satan when he was pushing Christ to declare his kingship early, the mission for Jesus coming to earth to die for the sins of humanity, past, present, and future, and sacrificially giving us the free gift of eternal life, would have been a failed mission. When we give in to temptations, it's possible Satan is attempting to block God's purpose for our lives. So remember, the temptation is not the sin, it only becomes sin when we give in to it. I don't know about you, but hands down, I'm not tempted when I'm in church or I'm home singing praises to God in the highest. Temptations come when we're tired, hungry, or after we've had a mountaintop experience. This is when we're the most susceptible maybe we're lonely or have a big decision to make this is when he will strike or the other strategy the devil uses to attack us comes through our own strength that leads to pride proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 puts it this way pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall now haughtiness is an arrogant attitude And when Satan tempted Jesus to turn the stone into bread to alleviate his extreme hunger, that wasn't a sin. It wasn't the act, it was the reason behind the act that would have made the fulfillment of the temptation sin. The devil was offering Jesus a shortcut. This was, of course, at the expense of Jesus' long-range goals. This is an example of just how insidious Satan is. He often works by tempting us to act outside of God's permissive will. The act is not the problem. Again, it's the reason coupled with wrong timing. We can be discerning when we ask the Holy Spirit, is this you leading me? Or is this Satan deceiving me? The good news is the devil didn't thwart God's purpose jesus was not diverted from god's will the devil exerts the world as his playground jesus didn't refute this fact while he was being tempted in the wilderness however jesus refused to validate him and worship him jesus knew he would redeem man at the cross upon giving up his very life for us there was no need to join forces with a corrupt angel Jesus knew scripture inside and out and would choose which verse to use out of his armory to fight Satan with. We learn through this wilderness experience not to tempt God. Sometimes false teachers show up as friends or business associates. They may attempt to persuade us to do something we know is wrong all the while backing it up with scripture. To help you remember, think of the acronym TAR, T-A-R t is temptation isn't sin a the act may not necessarily be sin and r the reason is the qualifier deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16 tells us not to test god except in one area malachi chapter 3 verse 10 okays testing god in tithing by saying bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple If you do, says the Lord Almighty, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. Wow, what an awesome promise. This is a message for the next time that deserves attention from God's children back in the day the religious elitists who were known as pharisees considered wealth to be proof of a person's righteousness approval by god this was an example of false doctrine correct doctrine teaches that we are god's elect whom he chose for a specific purpose or destiny or justified made righteous not guilty upon accepting the free gift of salvation when we come into agreement believing christ's finished work upon the cross christ was our atoning sacrifice at this point where the righteousness of god because of jesus it has nothing to do with anything that we did and everything to do with what he has done for us Our remaining days are spent being made holy or sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Luke, Jesus tells a parable about the rich man and the beggar. Now the tables are turned in this story. The beggar is rewarded and the rich man is punished. The rich man actually goes to hell because he was selfish not because of his wealth the rich man would not feed lazarus the beggar or take him in and care for him his heart was hardened even though he had been greatly blessed upon the earth our money can be a tremendous gift and blessing if we use it properly Jesus blesses us so that we may be a blessing to others. This rich man wanted to get word of his fate to his five brothers so they could make better choices and escape hell. Jesus said, if they did not believe Moses and the prophets who spoke constantly of caring for the poor, then they surely wouldn't believe a dead man being resurrected. Jesus spoke this parable among amongst the irony that was presenting itself and that was Jesus who was on his way to his own crucifixion burial and resurrection yet the false teachers of the day would still fail to acknowledge him for who he was the son of God this brings us back to present day many false teachers are among us if we do not know the word of God we will be deceived False teachers have underlying agendas and twist the narrative to point in their direction. Confusion and chaos are often the result. Many church members finally give in to the authority of the pulpit. It's really an assumption mentality. The assumption that the pulpit yields power to direct, lead, influence, and guide their flock. This is true when a leader operates in an ethical manner and is above reproach in their actions. False teachers come to us though in various forms. In the Old Testament, many of the kings struggled with idolatry. This doesn't make sense in view of an earthly kingdom, but not so quick to dismiss idolatry. First, kings had the word spoken through the prophets. Second, some of God's word was written. And third, they had the example of King David to follow. But kings still fell into idolatry for four primary reasons. Number one, power. Two, pleasure. Three, passion. And fourth, praise and popularity. And this is knowing that scripture strictly forbade it. Exodus chapter 20 verse 4 says, Do not make idols of any kind. The Israelite children had just been led out of captivity from Egypt. It would be easy to add one more God, small g, to worship to their expansive list of idols. But this is not what God wanted. He wanted them to know Him, the one true God. Let's look at the appeal of idols in the day of the kings versus the appeal now, starting with power. Back in the days of the kings, the people wanted freedom from the authority of both God and the priest. Their religion needed to fit their lifestyle, not the other way around. So the question becomes, what's the modern day parallel of this? It's God's desire is that we're each empowered with the Holy Spirit. And people are still rebelling at authority to this day. Pleasure. There was no responsibility in acting out sexually because idolatry promoted and exalted sensuality among the people. There was an the overall approval for degraded living. So, again, we ask the question what's the modern day parallel of this? We find that pleasure is deified among people. God wants us to seek pleasure that leads to eternal rewards, not just temporal rewards. And passion, back in the days of the king's humanity, was slightly elevated above the animal kingdom. Uniqueness didn't exist. People were exploited sexually, politically, and economically. This was a very pagan way to live. And so if we look at the modern day parallel now, when we allow others to manipulate our minds, we become animals in nature, allowing our physical drives and passions to control us. God's calling us to redirect our passions to edifying, encouraging others. And finally, we have praise and popularity. God was holy and set high above in his tabernacle. Yet the idols that were created symbolized human tendencies further devaluing the one true God. Idols didn't require sacrifices like the one true God. So when we look at the modern day parallel now to that, sacrifice is the equivalent of pain derived from oneself. Worldly success is what matters most. God encourages us to seek, to praise, and honor Him first and foremost. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, God says you must never worship or bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not share your affection with any other God. When we fail to follow this commandment, it's the equivalent of spiritual adultery. Today, many things become gods to us, social media, fame, money, pleasure, and we find that we place our personal identity with them, it becomes detrimental to us. The amount of time we spend on these idols and our thoughts ends up controlling us. And God has reasons behind all of his commands. He didn't give this command to be harsh or non-loving. Actually, it's quite the opposite. He loves us so much that he set up guardrails for his children to thrive in. We need to keep first and central in our lives to live a life worth living, giving all deference to Jesus. And friends, if you're looking To have this peace and this salvation from our Lord Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord now. Simply repeat, Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sins of humanity at the cross of Calvary. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation with me, then I believe that today you were born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. Get into a good Bible-based church where you're surrounded with other believers. And let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision that you will ever make. Congratulations. Amen. And as you prepare to go out and about within the world today, I'd like to pray the priestly blessing over you. It comes directly out of the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, and it does encompass six blessings. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Oh, oh,